Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Um, so Psalm 130, and we're going to look at verse 5. And the word of the Lord reads, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. This is the word of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, If the Lord makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all who wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains mission and endears the blessings when it comes. The Lord's people have always been awaiting people. So in light of this new year, and in light of many of our New Year's resolutions, we're kicking off a short sermon series on a very unappreciated spiritual discipline titled Waiting on God. And the reason why we're in this series is the fact that waiting and being patient is really an important part of the Christian life. Just as Spurgeon had said, like the Christian life is, is a waiting life. The Christian people are waiting people. But the problem is, is the word wait for most of us is just another four-letter word. If we can just agree on that. right? Because we hate to wait. I think we all hate it. If there's anything in the world that we don't want to do, even as Christians, is, is we don't want to wait. You go to McDonald's and you order your Egg McMuffin, and if it doesn't get there in two and a half minutes, you're irritated. Right? Why? Because you don't want to wait. Right? You order things on Amazon Prime. You pay for that Prime membership. Why? I want it in two days because I don't want to wait. We live in a world where we want it all, and we want it all right now in this moment. We have and want everything on demand. We have music on demand. We have movies on demand. We have shopping on demand. We have information on demand. We have, we have our favorite TV shows on demand. In fact, I was watching a little video where a father and a daughter were talking about television back in the 80s. And he was talking about how the fact that you'd watch, he made her watch this show with commercials and all. And she's, she's like, what is this that they keep doing in the middle of the show? He says, that's how we watched shows before. You know, you'd watch a show and then it'd stop and you'd have commercials to help pay for, you know. And she says, that's obnoxious. <laughs> and then, and then, he, then he hit her with a real bomb. Like, and, and guess what? When you wanted to see the next episode, you had to wait a whole week. And then you had to be there at a certain specific time. It wasn't on demand, right? And guess what? When the season was over, then you waited for months. Typically, shows had those cliffhangers, right? You waited for months and then you had... Right. We want it on demand. We want everything on demand. Right. Even, even sin is on demand. 50% of the, the content on the Internet is pornography, where people can have access to it from their phones and their computers like that. Right. And our ability to wait affects so many things. Our inability to wait affects many parts of our lives, but also affects our relationships too. We struggle to wait in a relationship. 
Nobody wants to wait to get married before being intimate. Nobody wants to wait to get married before living together. Nobody wants to wait to get married before bringing children into the world in spite of what God says about these things. We want it all. We want it now. We want the benefits in this moment. Even when it comes to resolving conflict, people don't want to wait. And and I'm going to confess here, right? I know that for me and Kim, when she and I get into an argument about something, I have been known I have been known to make things worse because I want to fix it now. I want to resolve it now. I don't want to wait. But my wife, when she's upset, she's different from me. She wants to take some time to process her feelings. She needs time to get over her irritation with me. She needs time to get over her hurt feelings from time to time. Right? She needs some space to let her emotions settle down. But me... I'm emotional in the other way. I'm impatient, right? I don't want to live with tension. I just want to push to get the issue resolved now. I want to settle it now. Why? Because I don't like to wait. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait, you know, um, for her to uh, to not be mad at me. I don't want to wait at all. And and we're like that in a lot of our relationships too, in our friendships. When we know we hurt someone's feelings, we want to go resolve it quickly. We know that we get cross-threaded with somebody at work. We want to handle it now. We are a very impatient people, and it just seems just part of who we are. In fact, we hate waiting for to find out ways to overcome negative feelings, and 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 so much so that we we've overcome. We we have found ways to to mitigate the waiting or the negative feelings associated with waiting. In fact, anytime you see people go places together and there's a lonely conversation, what happens nowadays? People pull out their devices and reoccupy their minds because people are uncomfortable with silence. They're uncomfortable with waiting, even for a few minutes. It seems like no one's ever having conversations anymore. No one's talking. No one passes the time by engaging in dialogue with one another. Instead, we pull, we, we unplug from the world and put our faces in a screen. And don't get me wrong. I'm just as guilty of this as everybody else. You go driving up the 14 or the 395 and, and, you know, you have a car full of people and it's quiet. Why? Because everybody has their earbuds on and their face in the screen and no one's talking, right? Everybody seems to be needing to be entertained rather than being patient and waiting. They just want to be distracted from the uncomfortable feeling of, of waiting and silence. Because waiting and being still and being quiet is, for some, I think especially teenagers, is, is worse than torture, it might seem. We don't want to wait for anything. That's why our economy and culture is built on debt. Nobody wants to wait to save enough money for for the things that they want. You want a jacuzzi? All right, fine. Finance it. You want a new dirt bike? Hey, go get a loan. I know when I was a kid that the only people who really had like RVs and boats and, you know, big toys like that were people who were older and they're, you know, in their late 30s and, and older and I say that really carefully because I want to think of myself as young, but that's a whole different thing. But why 
was it like that before? Well, it's because back then it took that long to work for and get established in your life to be able to afford those kinds of things. But nowadays with financing, people graduate and go to work and they think they should be able to buy the four bedroom house in the nicest neighborhood and a couple of cars and a jet ski and a toy hauler and all the electronics that you can stand. Right? Why? Because I want it now. I always found it really funny when I was young, like, how come it's only the old guys that get to drive the Ferraris? Well, it takes that long to make that kind of money. But nowadays, it seems like people find ways to have it now. There's nothing in us that wants to wait for any part of our lives. We tend to be very impatient people. We don't want to wait for food to be cooked. That's why oftentimes we will go into the kitchen where there's a kitchen full of food and say, there's nothing to eat. Why? Because there's nothing in there that you can make in like a couple of minutes to eat. Right? You don't want to have to wait in relationships. We don't want to have to wait for our tax returns. We don't want to wait for lab results. We don't want to have to wait for our spouse to get ready so we can leave. We darn sure don't want to wait for traffic. And uh, who wants to wait in line at Walmart? By the way, that's why they have the, the Walmart shopping for you. You just pull up and they put the stuff in your car. We don't want to wait for the new season of our favorite shows to come out on Netflix so we can binge watch them in two days. And we don't want to wait for anything, not even, not even God. But there's a thing that we have to come to terms with. Much to our chagrin, much to how we don't want it to be, God has designed us to wait on him. God has created us in such a way and designed us to know him best and to grow and to prosper in the middle of his will for our life and to be closest to him when we wait on him. When we wait on his guidance, when we wait on his plan, when we wait on him to move in our lives and in our hearts, God has designed us to wait on him. That's just something we just need to just come to terms with and understand. God has designed us in such a way that we need to wait on him. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall, not run, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 27, 13, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Isaiah 30, verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are those who wait for him. Psalm 62, verse 5, God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. Over and over and over and over again, the Bible, we are told to wait on God. In fact, the word wait or any derivative of that word wait, like waiting, occurs somewhere between 140 and 160 times in the Bible, depending on which translation that you prefer. And the thing is I want you to realize is one of the things I've come to understand in all my years of walking with God is when God says anything, it's important. But he says something more than once, he's really trying to get our attention. 
And when he says it over and over and over and over again, you can count on that's a very important theme in the Bible. I mean, think about this. There are certain things that we're told repeatedly by God that we need to believe or to do. Over and over again in the Bible, we are commanded to believe or to have faith. Over and over again, we are told that we are to repent. Over and over again, we're, we're told to worship God. We're told repeatedly to love others, all others. Over and over again, the Bible, we're encouraged and commanded to pray. Right? It's a repeated theme, just like standing up for truth. Over and over again, we're told to contend for the faith and to defend sound doctrine and to tear down false teaching and lift up the truth. There are repeated themes throughout the word of God, and each one of them is important. And waiting on God is one of those very clear, important themes. And it's a theme that runs from beginning to end, from start to finish. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 19, we find Jacob saying, he, as he blesses his sons, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. And then in the book of Revelation, we find that those who have been killed for the word of God or martyred for the faith, in heaven they are crying out, when are you going to avenge us, O Lord? When are you going to, to finish this and give justice? When are you going to judge those who have, who have done these horrific things? And what is the Lord's response? He tells them to rest or to wait a little longer. From beginning to end, waiting on God is a consistent theme that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. And the reason for that is, again, we were designed that way. We were designed to wait on God. Why? Well, the reason for that is found in, it's found in our theology. It's found in our understanding of who God is. Everything that we know about our faith and about our life and about who we are must ultimately be rooted in our understanding of God himself or our theology. It must be rooted in what we know about him And then what we know about us in light of that. That's why we have focused for the last several years on on having a robust theology of God, because it matters. We need to have a foundational theology on which to build everything else. We need an understanding of God and faith that allows us to see everything else in light of it. Our entire worldview and how we see every other part of our life must be built on an understanding of God that is true. Which means the answer to the question of why we are designed to wait on God is anchored to our understanding of who he is. It is anchored to what we know about him and then what we know about ourselves. And so this question, like every other question, begins and ends with theology. It's a theological question. And that begins with what we understand about him. And so what do we know then after all these years? What do we know? Well, first of all, we know that God is completely sovereign and in control. That he is the king of the universe. That he is the authority of all authorities. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and, on the, and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, 
And you were exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Psalm 11, I mean, uh, 115 verse 3 reads, Our God is in heaven and he does all that he pleases. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purposes. God is completely sovereign and he is the one who is in control. Number two is the fact that God is good. He is all good. I love that, you know, that old kind of like refrain that people will have. You say, God is good. And somebody would say all the time. And somebody would say on all the time, God is good, right? God is good all of the time. Over and over again, the psalmist declare, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God loves us and is good to us. In fact, one of the things that I was reflecting on this this last couple of weeks is I was going through the pictures that, that I had collected of being able to spend time with all my family. And I realized family is a gift from God that he gives to all people, even those who believe him and those who don't. God is good even to those who don't deserve it. Well, all of us don't deserve it, but God also is all-knowing. The psalmist says in Psalm 147, verse 5, God, I mean, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah 40, 28, how, I mean, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God is completely all-knowing. And the number four is the promise that we talk about so much here, the promise that God will work out good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, you've probably heard me say this hundreds of times, but I will say it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so really surface level, we can just agree that God is sovereign, that he is good, that he is all-knowing, and he works the good for those who love him. And that's just some of the theological understanding that we have of him. Well, what, is, what does that tell us about us? In light of who God is, what about who we are? Well, we know for a fact that we're not sovereign and in control. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to even cite a Bible verse to let you know that you're not in control. Because we're not. Even whatever illusion of control we might think we have, we don't have it. You're not in control of the weather. We can't control the economy. Some people can't even control their own kids. You can't control whether or not you're going to even wake up tomorrow morning. I mean, that's just that's the, the bottom line truth. right? We are not sovereign. We're not also, number two, we're not always good. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, we might pretend that we're good. You know, but it doesn't take very long to reveal that we're not. Jeremiah 17:9 helps us to get a handle on that. It says, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it?" 
Paul in Romans indicts the entire world and says in chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So unlike God, we're not always good. Number three, we're not all knowing. Now, some of us might think we are, but the truth is we're not. And again, we don't need a Bible verse to, to validate that. We, we understand that knowledge is limited. Just look at your life and think about how many, how many times you have walked in your ignorance and found that it's gotten you into trouble because there are just things that you don't know. What's worse is there are things that you don't know that you don't know. So we're not all-knowing. And then number four, we don't always work things out for our own good. We, we just don't. The Bible tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We don't always do things that work out for our own good. I mean, how many of you have, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just be real with ourselves. How many of you have made a decision in your life where you thought in the moment, that's the very best thing for me, but then it turned out to be the very worst thing for you. And it was a disaster. Yeah. I, I think that, that we all have. We've been there. In fact, some of the worst things that have happened in, in all of our lives were the result of our own choices and things that we thought we wanted. And so we then, unlike God, are not sovereign and we're not good and we're not all-knowing. And, and we don't always make the best choices. So then why are we designed to wait on God? Well, it's because he's everything that we're not. And this is the thing that we tend to forget, I think, in our day-to-day life and grind, is that we, we are not like him, and he is all that we need, and that means we are totally, completely dependent upon him for everything. That we are depending on God for everything, even for the next breath. In fact, just do this with me. Take a deep breath. Whether you realize it or not or acknowledge it or not, that was a gift from the very hand of God himself. He gave that to you. It's by his will that you had it. And if he willed for you not to have it, then we would have you call the ambulance right now. This is, we are dependent upon God for everything. And that is one of the reasons why we're designed to wait on him. It's just who he is, and it's just who we are. And so theologically speaking, we're designed to wait on God because he is everything we need. He gives us life. He knows the beginning from the end. He gives us wisdom and strength and hope, and he knows what's best for us, and he provides for every need. We are wholly dependent upon him. That's why waiting on God and learning to wait for him is actually very good for us. In fact, waiting for God is a spiritual discipline. Now, if there's a word that has fallen out of favor in our modern context, it's the word discipline. We think of negative things. But really, discipline is the way to freedom. It's being able to discipline ourselves financially that we find financial freedom. It's being able to discipline ourselves in a number of areas that we can accomplish the things we want to accomplish But there's also spiritual disciplines, and one of those is waiting on God. 
Just as much as reading the Bible, just as much as prayer, just as much as fellowship, just as much as worship, waiting on God is a spiritual discipline that helps us to grow towards spiritual maturity. Waiting for God and his counsel and for his wisdom and, and, and for him to work in our lives is a vital spiritual discipline. And it's important for four basic reasons. And I think this is the part that actually gets to your notes in the bulletin. Number one, waiting on God demonstrates that we acknowledge our dependence upon him. It is an expression of our submission to his sovereignty. It's an expression of our submission to his authority, and it's us admitting that he is indispensable to us. Psalm 130 verses 5 through 6 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Micah 7, 7 says, but as for me, I will look to God. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Waiting for God is a way for us to acknowledge our need of him. It demonstrates that we acknowledge our dependence upon him. And actually, waiting for God is really a form of worship, which leads to number two. When we willingly wait on God, we demonstrate the value of God in our lives. In fact, that's what worship is. Worship is the expressing of God's value. That's why when we call us a worship service, we aren't here to entertain. We are here to lift our voices together to him. He is the centerpiece of all of our activity. He is the centerpiece of our singing. That's why we sing songs that are filled with the gospel. That's why we, we read the word. That's why we have a catechism. That's why we preach the word. It's expressing value and his worth. And when we wait, we willingly and patiently, when we do so, what we're saying to God is, Lord, you are worthy. You are valuable. You are worth praying for. Psalm 62, verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. When we wait for God, it expresses his immeasurable value. And, and I, I think an illustration that expresses this is really kind of how we, how we like to, to eat out. We go to McDonald's, you order a hamburger, you want it right now. You order it and you want for them to hurry up and get it to you. And you're not willing to wait. That's why you went to McDonald's. Let's just be honest. The food's not that good. But what happens when you decide to go to a nicer restaurant. And it doesn't have to be super nice or super expensive, but, but you go to something a little bit nicer, something like BJ's or, uh, or Red Lobster or like Olive Garden um, or Panera, which is my son, my oldest son calls that overpriced hospital food, but that's a different thing. But you go somewhere nicer and, and you know, you're, you know that you're, when you go there, that there's a chance that you're probably going to have to wait a little longer that you know that the food's not going to come right out when you, when you order it. And the thing is, is you go and you're willing to do that. And sometimes when you go, you're not just waiting on food, you're just waiting to get a table. 
And we know that's going to happen. If you go to the mall on Friday night and that you're going to go to one of those restaurants, you know for a fact that you're going to be waiting. Sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes even longer. And sometimes it's so busy you have to actually wait outside on the rocks and not inside. But nonetheless, you will still do that. Why? Because it's worth the wait. You value the food. You value the occasion that you're having with other people. You value the experience of that restaurant enough that you are willing to wait. Waiting expresses value and worth. And that's what worship does. It expresses the value and worth that we have and hold for God. It says, Lord, you are worthy of me waiting. Waiting on God demonstrates through our actions, Lord, you are worth waiting on. Even though I want this situation in my life to change right now, Lord, even though I want this job right now, Lord, even though I want to buy this house now, Lord, even though I want my relationship issues to be fixed now, Lord, Lord, I'm waiting for you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait because, Lord, you are worth it. And what you want for my life is important to me. And so I'm going to wait because you, Lord, and what you have planned and what you want and what you think are valuable to me. And so I will worship you by waiting. Number three, waiting on God changes us. It is through the waiting process that we wait on God that he changes and shapes us. When we wait on God, we have time to slow down. We have time to reflect. We have time to think. We have time to read his word and to pray and to meditate and to contemplate and to dream and to hope and to visualize. When we we wait on God, we have time to come into his presence and just be still, sitting there allowing God to heal us from the inside and to, to change our heart and minds about our attitudes and situations and the world and who we are. Waiting on God helps to transform us. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. It is hard to be changed and transformed when you are continually grinding and hustling and and you're just continually covered up. It's hard to be changed when you're constantly in motion. It's hard to be transformed when, when your mind is chaotic and overwhelmed all the time. There are just times that you need to stop, and sometimes we just need to slow down and reflect, and, and sometimes we just need that downtime to sit alone in the quiet with our God. Sometimes we just need to just be there meditating on the promises that he's made and on what we know about him to be true. Sometimes we just need to slow down and wait for God to move and shape us. Waiting on God is good for us because it changes us. And then finally, number four, waiting on God is in our best interest. The funny thing is about the way God works is the things that glorify him the most end up being the things that are in our best interest. Sometimes we get in such a big hurry and we're so worried that we're going to miss something 
But sometimes when we wait, that's when we find the new opportunity. Sometimes when we wait on God, we can hear his still small voice. Sometimes when we wait on God, we can avoid disastrous consequences. I don't know about you, but I've been in situations before where I wanted to go somewhere and I was in a hurry to leave, but I'm waiting on someone else and I'm late and I'm irritated and frustrated because, you know, I'm waiting and my day's ruined. And then you you go and you drive and then you see a horrible accident and you're like, wow, if I was like five minutes earlier, I'd have been right in the middle of that. Sometimes we in our impatience, fail to see that we're being spared. And it's the same thing spiritually. Sometimes we have a direction we want to go, and you're like, I just want to get that job. I know this is what's best for me. I just want to buy this house. I want to take advantage of that opportunity. I want to buy those things right now because they're on sale. That's How many times have you ever told yourself that, right? But it seems like things get in the way. That's the time when we need to just be patient and, and wait on him. What we need to do is step back and allow him to be God and allow him to direct us because waiting on God ultimately is in our best interest. Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I mean, if there is a verse that's worth writing down or underlining in your Bible and memorizing, is that one right there. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Waiting on God is in our best interest because God is in control anyway. God is sovereign, as we said, and he is good and he is all-knowing and he works all things out for our good. That's why it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, with that, the question then for us is, what does it mean here and now to wait on God? What does that look like? I mean, Pastor, you say we need to wait on God. Give me direction. How do I do that? Well, it's a good question. And it's an important one because I think this is something that a lot of people get wrong. Like when you need, need a job, but you don't want to go looking for one. Right? Right? I've heard people really kind of misuse the whole waiting on God thing that way. You know, I need a job, but, you know, are you going to look? Well, not I'm not really looking. I'm just waiting, waiting on the Lord. I, I don't think that's what he means, right? Or you know that you need to do something like forgive someone, right? But you don't. And you're just like, well, I'm just kind of waiting on the Lord. That's not what he had in mind. Or when you need, when you have a decision to make and you know what you need to do, right? But you keep procrastinating and then you rationalize that and say, well, I'm just praying and I'm just waiting on God to move to show me the way. That's not what we're talking about. That's making excuses. What we're talking about in this series is something completely different. In fact, in this series, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks walking through what it means to wait on God. In, and in the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some deep and important subjects related to that. Because let's just be honest, sometimes it's hard. Now today, this is a little bit of a kind of foundation laying kind of uh, sermon. And there are some things that, that we're going to talk about and wrap up with a little bit. But the meat of this series is in the next few weeks. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to take what we learn here today about who God is and who we are and apply that to the bigger subjects that we're going to talk about. And the things that we're going to, we're going to talk about in the next few weeks are really important. So I just encourage you, if you can, be with us. Now, next week, we're going to jump right in and we're going to talk about waiting on God when life changes. If there is ever any, anything that any of us will face, it's the fact that life does change and sometimes it changes drastically in a hurry. We're going to look at and talk about what the Bible says, why we need to wait on God and how to wait on God when big changes happen in our lives. Sometimes these changes are from big decisions. Sometimes these changes are unforeseen circumstances that pop up. Sometimes it's about unexpected opportunities, and sometimes our plans for the future just simply need to change. And sometimes there are changes we need to make in our lives that we're just struggling to make. We're going to look at what the Bible says about waiting on God in that context. How do we open our hearts and minds to God's will and direction in our lives to change? And then the following week, we're going to talk about waiting on God when things hurt or when we're in pain. Because that's one of the greatest challenges that we can face is, is how do we wait on God when it's really hard, when things are difficult? How do you wait on God when it seems like he's not even there? There are those times I think that we've gone through where we face trials and you're crying out to the heavens, God, where are you? And it seems as though that he's nowhere to be found and we're tempted in our hurt and in our emotions to push forward and make decisions on our own. But it's in those times that we need to find the strength and the courage to wait on him. And we're going to talk about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about and wrap up with the big wait, the big question. When will God return? We're going to talk about waiting on him to come back. We're talking about Jesus coming back and making all things right. What does that look like? What does that mean? Do we just sit here in church and let the world go to hell while we sit around waiting? Or is waiting for Christ more proactive? Does it mean that we go out into the world and do something? What does it mean to be ready and waiting for Jesus to come back? Those are just a few of the things that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. And I believe and I hope that it'll be an encouragement to you. Um, and I hope that it will be something that will get your new year started off right. But today I want to wrap up with talking about waiting on God more practically speaking in our devotional life taking time daily to wait in his presence. I, uh, I strive to have my own personal Bible study time and to get alone with God. And I desire to have that quiet time before everything gets started uh, for the day. But if I am not diligent and I don't discipline myself in this area, what I find is the day starts creeping in on me. And my mind starts to wander and think about the things I need to accomplish because I have this project coming up or I got that going on or those papers degrade, right? And the next thing you know, I'm in the middle of the workday and it's just like, go, 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 go. And I realize I'm not really taking the time to sit and spend time with God, even just for a few minutes. So I have to consciously work on making myself wait on God. And this is an area that I personally need to grow in continually. And it's an area that, that I certainly would covet your prayers in. 
Because you and I need to set aside that time to wait on God daily, and then we need to follow through on that. And what I mean by that is our devotional time consists of several key elements. It, it's incorporating spending some time in the Word, reading the Bible. Um, I know that this is one of those ones I've talked to many people that, you know, as I've counseled over the years, I've had people come to me and talk about problems, and I ask two questions. How is your time in the Word, and how is your time in prayer? And they look at me going, Pastor, I'm here to talk about my problems. I'm just, I, I know that, but like, how much time are you spending in the Word or in, in prayer? And invariably, not always, but invariably, typically people who have the greatest crises are those who are, are not as much in the Word or in prayer. So we need to be daily in the Word and in prayer. But in addition to that, I have found value in, and I believe it's important that we have some quiet time in the presence of God. Quiet time where we're just waiting for him. Where we stop and clear our minds and clear our heads and where we meditate on his promises. When's the last time that you have just sat quietly thinking about and meditating on God's word? And I say that is because what you'll find is most people, when they start doing this again, they'll start and they'll sit in silence and 20 seconds will seem like an hour. It will. I mean, that's the reason why we have cell phones and we entertain ourselves constantly is being in silence and waiting and being quiet and still is almost painful for us. But this is a wonderful spiritual discipline for us. Quiet time where we're waiting on the Lord, where we clear our minds and our heads and where we're praying. And, and, you know, praying things like, Lord, you know all that's going on with me. Right? I want to pray. I want to talk. Right? And, I, and, and I want to do this and I want to do this, Lord. But, but help me to wait on you. Lord, you're valuable to me. You're worthy of me just sitting here in silence. And I value you. Lord, change me. Help me to be patient. Help me to be comfortable in your presence. I know that waiting on you is in my best interest. So, Lord, I'm just here today. Clear my head. I'm going to wait on you because, God, you're worthy of my undivided attention. We need to have that quiet time. Psalm 62, 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. And then he says, from him comes my salvation. You see, the basis of this spiritual discipline and all the good that God does for us is ultimately the gospel. It always comes back to the gospel. It's not what we can do for him. It's what he's already done for us through Christ Jesus. The truth that we rejoice in a truth that we rejoice in is one of the most important or the most important issue of your life has already been settled. I don't know if you realize that. Whatever you're facing, whatever challenges that are on, on the horizon, I want you to know those are, as Paul says, light and momentary. Because the greatest challenge you're ever going to face has already been dealt with because of what Christ has done for us. The greatest battle has already been won. Your hope is already secure. It's already certain. It's the truth that God, by his own will and his grace, chose to create us in the first place. And even more, 
Even though that we were sinners in rebellion against him, he chose of his own grace to reconcile us to himself. And he did that not by waving a magic wand or just sweeping our sin under the rug. He did it by sending his son into the world to live the perfect righteous life that's required and then to die to make atonement for our sin and then rose him from the dead, proving that the penalty has been paid. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. God did all of this for us. Brothers and sisters, he is worth the wait. Now with that, if you're not in Christ, some of this might seem pointless to you, but I promise you, if you will turn and repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will redeem you and heal you and your worldview will change radically. And if you're not in Christ, I invite you to put your faith and trust in him today, in him alone. Today is a day of redemption. Today is the day to put your faith in Christ. And it's very simple. What you need to do, as Paul says, is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will redeem you. Now, if you are in Christ, another way to say wait on the Lord is to rest. Rest in him. It's been finished. Jesus said it's been accomplished. It's done. So it's not about us then suddenly becoming super Christians, going out and being able to do everything right, never making mistakes or never ever saying bad words when people cut us off on the freeway. Okay, It's about resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross and continually keeping our eyes set on him, waiting and trusting in him to redeem us. And for those of us in Christ, this is the message of hope because people are going to run run around like chickens with their heads cut off for the rest of their life, trying to find something that they'll never find, trying to fill a hole in their heart that will is unfillable. They will look for money. They will look for drugs. They will look for relationships and fame and fortune, and they will find it all at some point fleeting. One of the most telling things that 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 I've seen in my own life is to see you know, I would have to say the greatest of all time quarterback, Tom Brady. I was never a Patriots fan, by the way, but I have to admit that, right? But there was a point after winning so many Super Bowls, he's like, you know, I got to think that there's something more. Yeah, there is. His name's Jesus. And that's the message of hope that we need to go out and share with our community and our friends. They desperately need this truth. They desperately need to, to know how to rest in Christ and to be patient and wait on him 
even when life goes crazy. Let us be the instrument that goes out and bears the light for people to be able to see the truth. Let us be the church that helps people to come to Christ and not just for number's sake and to get them baptized, but to help them then to walk with him all the days of their life. Let me pray for you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.